Hello, hello. Welcome to the VHive, your go-to podcast for all things women's intimate health. I'm your host, Hannah, here to discuss the many questions you've always had about your body but never wanted to ask. Whether it relates to sex, chronic pain, trauma, relationships, healing, hormones, spirituality, and so much more, we are normalizing taboos, breaking down the complexities of the female body, and providing you with the information you need to take your health into your own hands. I am finally back with a new episode. I, where have I been? I'll start by giving you a brief update as to where I've been. I know I've been super MIA and I keep taking these podcast hiatuses, but let me tell you, showing up and recording and interviewing takes a lot of energy and presence and focus. And when it's just not feeling you know, like the time is right. I think it's so important to just take a break and to take a pause because if I record content that isn't really feeling aligned with me in that given day or week or month, it's not going to be be the best content. So um, basically, I was away for a while. Where have I been? I was away. We were on our honeymoon for a little over three weeks in June traveling through Europe and I shared on Instagram before we left that I was going to take a little social media break. I was going to take a break from Instagram and the podcast and I just wanted to take a step back and be super present and not be in these beautiful places in Europe scrolling aimlessly on Instagram. I wanted to really unplug, relax, recharge and get back from vacation feeling ready to take on the podcast and my life again. So that was most of June. And then when my husband and I got back, we got COVID somewhere along the way. We were at a big wedding in Portugal the last weekend of our trip, and then we were flying home. So somewhere we got COVID and so when we got home we were super sick so that kind of took another 10 days off of my life just recovering and and trying to get get back um, to being feeling good and just being healthy again so luckily we're both fine now I feel I would say like 95% back to normal I'm still a little bit tired but other than that I feel good and luckily, you know, we just, I just had like a flu and fever and stuff like that, but nothing, it all went away and nothing too serious. So I'm definitely grateful that that passed over. And now I am just here and working really hard on recording new episodes and some really good content for the upcoming months and summer. And this episode I actually recorded before we left, but um, I'm releasing it now, obviously, just because I didn't have time to edit and um, produce it while I was away and then COVID and whatnot. So I'm back and I'm really going to try and stay consistent with the podcast for definitely the rest of the summer. I start school again in the fall and that will be my second year and last year of my master's program. I'm getting an MSW, which is a master's in social work in New York at Columbia, which I've shared many times before. But 
um, yeah, so it will be my last year in the fall. And I, of course, plan to continue the podcast, but probably the frequency will be, you know, more like once a month and the rest of the summer, I'm really going to aim for once a week. As always, if you have any guest recommendations or people that you would like me to interview and to hear from on the podcast, I always want to hear from you guys. So you can send me an email to hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at thevhive.com. And you can also DM me on Instagram at thevhive. Um, Both of those I'll check pretty often. So whichever way you want to reach out is great. And I also want to just say, I always forget to say this, but now that I am remembering and it's on the top of my mind, if you guys could do me the biggest favor and rate and review the VHive on Apple Podcast, it would mean the world. I know everyone says this at the beginning or end of their podcast, but truly it makes such a difference in the SEO for Apple Podcasts and just like the podcast in general and the more ratings and reviews a podcast has the higher up it appears when it's being searched or when any kind of search terms related to the podcast are searched so that would be amazing I would really really appreciate it if you're enjoying this content if it's helped you I know it's helped a lot of you because I get messages on Instagram all the time so if if you are one of those people and you could just take a minute to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Um, and what else do I want to share? Oh, oh yeah, okay. And one other thing that is very important for me to share today is the recent event of the Supreme Court overturning Roe vs. Wade. This is so devastating and so upsetting, heartbreaking. I mean, I don't even have the words to explain the way that I feel. I I think, you know, actually the word that really sums up all my feelings is anger. I think that's actually the word. Um, And I know I'm angry about it. I know obviously there's... A tremendous amount of other women and men and people in this country who are really angry and affected by this as well. So I wanted to make um, with this first podcast back from just being being away for a little bit, I wanted to start a fundraiser. Um, so I started a fundraiser on Instagram for Planned Parenthood and the fundraiser is there in order to raise money for Planned Parenthood. All of the proceeds go directly to Planned Parenthood. Instagram does not take even half a percentage of the money that's raised, which is pretty great. And even if you don't, even if we don't raise the goal that I've set, so I've set a goal of $3,000 over the next four weeks, but even if, if I only raise 500 the money still goes to Planned Parenthood so it doesn't matter if we don't hit the goal Um, it all gets donated regardless so I wanted to create this fundraiser for Planned Parenthood in order to make a donation to them and to help protect access to safe legal abortions and reproductive rights for women across the country especially in the states that are really being affected by this so 
of course Planned Parenthood is an amazing organization and they are really from the ground up taking every single step that I can that, that they can and just so on the forefront of this issue now to really make reproductive health and abortion access accessible in any way possible and of course there are really severe barriers in place now but they are the leaders I I really feel of the nonprofit space when it comes to access to abortion and reproductive rights and so it would mean a lot if you could donate anything it can be one dollar literally no donation amount is too small but um so i never want anyone to be deterred you know because they can't afford it or whatever the circumstances may be you can literally donate one dollar and together one dollar amongst a hundred people is a hundred dollars and so it really does count and it really does make a difference even if it's just one dollar one dollar is a lot so you can go to my Instagram page, The Beehive, and if you see the post that I posted two days ago on July 12th, that is the fundraiser post. Um, and you'll see like the image on Instagram is, it's an image of a lot of people marching and holding signs up. And so if you go to that image, you can donate there. And also, sorry, now I'm just looking at my Instagram page. You can also donate directly like so I'm going to hold on. Let me pull it up now. So if you go to, as I said, the Beehive on Instagram, you can um, hold on. You can. Yeah. So the fundraiser actually comes up in the description before the posts. So if you click on on the fundraiser, it literally says fundraising for Planned Parenthood. Right now, there's zero dollars raised of three thousand. It's right right under under the my bio. You click on that and then it will literally take you to the donation page and you just hit donate. And you, as I said, you can also go there through the post that I made. But anyways, you can reach the donation both ways. So if you have it in your heart to donate, any amount would be so greatly appreciated. And what else do I have to cover? Um, I'm just trying to... I have a whole list of notes here. I think that for today that is it so okay let me share with you a little bit about the guest so today's guest is melanie carminati she is a pelvic floor physical therapist who specializes in a lot of other therapies such as craniosacral therapy osteopathic therapy and she really you know she does a lot of pelvic floor work but she also incorporates more eastern holistic types of therapies which is really interesting and something that I actually had never heard of before so she's based in Brooklyn in New York and she just shares um, what she does in her practice and how she's seen it work for all of her patients and I found it super interesting I hope that you all find it interesting as well and without further ado I'll stop talking and I'll let you listen to the episode I am here today with Dr. Melanie Carminati. She is the founder of Inspira Physical Therapy, which is located in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Inspira Physical <laughs> Therapy specializes in advanced orthopedics, pelvic floor, dance physical therapy, TMJ dysfunction, osteopathic, and holistic treatments such as craniosacral therapy, visceral manipulation, and Pilates rehabilitation. 
So I am very excited to be here with you today. Um, we are in person, which is always a treat these days. And also just everything that you do at your practice is so unique and it's really so integrative and holistic, which I think is really important and um, rare in, in the pelvic pain space. So I guess before we get started or to get started, tell us a little bit more about your story and how you really got started here and why you know it's so important to you to really integrate all of these mm-hmm. approaches. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Hannah, yeah. for that introduction. And hi, everyone. So my name is Melanie Carminati, as Hannah said. I am a doctor of physical therapy and business owner of Inspira Physical Therapy and Wellness in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And my story started out as a dancer and musician. So I was a dancer and musician growing up and I eventually became a Pilates teacher and then a physical therapist. When I was dancing, I was exposed to many different movement modalities such as Alexander Technique, Feldenkrais, Laban, Pilates, Gyrotonics, many other numerous classical and modern dance techniques. And all of those experiences really fueled my desire for holistic mind-body experiences. And through those experiences, it really deepened my connection to myself and just enhanced my understanding of my body and how it can move and how it responds to movement. So I was always very curious about uh, more human anatomy and physiology details. And during graduate school, when I eventually made it into physical therapy school, I had some amazing mentors, amazing mentors. I was really fortunate that I worked under some advanced manual therapists, dance physical therapists, pelvic floor PTs, myofascial PTs, and all of those experiences just influenced the physical therapist that I am today. And um, it was really the knowledge that I was seeking because I wanted to be exposed and, you know, just soak up all of these diverse modalities of treatment for physical therapy. But in terms of visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy, because I know we're going to mainly focus on that in our chat today, I remember that I signed up for my first visceral manipulation course, and in all honesty, I had no idea what to expect. I was just recommended by one of my pelvic PT colleagues to take the course, and I remember when I read Jean-Pierre Barral's book, I was just entranced by his writings. I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? It was so profound. The details and the subtleties that he wrote about and how important the connection of our emotions to the fascial restrictions in our musculoskeletal system and visceral organs was was eye-opening for me. And so for myself, I also am a Zen meditation practitioner, and I was able to utilize that inner stillness and the listening that you use in your meditation practice during my patient treatments with the visceral manipulation during that hands-on treatment. And um, it has just made my patients improve that much quicker, and I'm able to really start with the, the treatment that kind of opens the doors for the next phase of treatment or more specific manual therapy or even more specific internal pelvic floor work because 
for patients who come in and may have some kind of trauma experience or a history, we can't go right to any kind of internal work. Mm -hmm. Um, Even for patients who don't have trauma, it's pretty rare that I do start with internal work right away. And so getting to use these osteopathic techniques like craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation first brings the central nervous system more into a parasympathetic state. It breaks that sympathetic overdrive state that many people who are in persistent pain states experience. And it kind of just is like the first layer that we start peeling back. And I see a lot of success when it's incorporated first or incorporated in conjunction with other manual therapy modalities and other movement modalities like Pilates exercise integration. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And like, I just, even before we started, you gave me a mini treatment. <laughs> and even now I'm like, still, oh my God, I'm in such a trance. <laughs> it's so relaxing. Yeah. Um, but it makes so much sense because when you're treating these types of chronic pain conditions, uh-huh. like, to me it's like how could you not do these types of things it seems so obvious Mm -hmm. but to Mm -hmm. so many people it's not and it's not the way that it's treated and so i totally you know understand and resonate with everything that you're saying which is like you need to calm down the nervous system and you really want to like deregulate someone because Mm -hmm that helps also like you don't just need to do internal work you need to do Mm -hmm. like emotional work Mm -hmm. so i think that's really interesting and so important and for those who are unfamiliar with craniosacral therapy visceral manipulation osteopathic work can you just give a little intro into what these different types of therapies are and how they work just so people if they're unfamiliar have a better understanding Absolutely. So osteopathy is actually a whole field. Um, So there's doctors of osteopathy, um, but as a physical therapist, I'm able to use some of the osteopathic techniques. For craniosacral therapy, there actually are a few different schools of training. I am trained through Upledger, and for visceral manipulation, I'm trained through Baral, um, the Baral Institute. And so Both of those techniques, however, are focused on very light touch and very light manual therapy um, force being applied to someone's body. It's more focused on the specificity. So knowing where certain bony landmarks are, or more specifically for visceral manipulation, knowing where certain organs are or sphincters are, um, and then applying just the right amount of force. But for the practitioner, so as a physical therapist or an osteopath um, might might do, it's really about listening with the hands and having that perception and that um, awareness that makes a big difference. Because if the practitioner doesn't have hands that they can listen with mm-hmm. um, or hasn't developed that skill yet, it won't be as uh, profound the experience that the patient has and it won't be as beneficial. Um, but these techniques, craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, do fall under osteopathic treatments. Jean-Pierre Barral is um, an osteopath from France, and he has written many books on his techniques. And as you mentioned, there is not just a musculoskeletal or visceral fascial, myofascial benefit to um, visceral manipulation, but there is a somato-emotional um, side of things. And 
I am a physical therapist, so there's only so much that I can do with my patients when emotional things come to the surface, but it's normal. And I always tell my patients if they're new to it before that it's normal for some emotions to come up and just to be aware of that. And then when we're done, sometimes depends on what's happening during the session, they might get emotional during the session or after and we talk about it but over the next 24 to 48 hours, it's normal for sometimes other emotions that haven't been processed yet to come up. Mm-hmm. So, and if that does happen, I always uh, refer to a psychotherapist and psychologists um, if the patient doesn't already have a psychologist or therapist that they're working with. Right, and when you, you said something, I'm forgetting now exactly the word you used, mm-hmm. but lead with your hands or work with uh, your listen hands. With listen with your, with your hands. hands, yeah. yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that right so all practitioners Mm -hmm. in healthcare know that listening to the patient is the most important thing we get like 80 percent of the information that we need to give an effective treatment just from talking to our patients so listening in general is just tremendous in patient care then in terms of manual therapy being able to listen and to sense and to feel the subtleties in movement so if we're doing visceral manipulation say i'm working on someone's kidney and i'm listening to their kidney just to be able to feel if there is any movement if there is movement how large is the movement in what direction is the movement and then once we go to more um, direct um, manipulations of the organs how much can the organ move um, towards the midline away from midline towards the head towards the feet So being able to feel that, you have to have very sensitive hands and very perceptive hands. Mm -hmm. And um, some people, it's easier to feel those really subtle motions or lack thereof. Right. Um, And then others, it just takes more time um, or they just don't end up getting into the specialty. So um, I know for me, because I practice meditation, when I do visceral and cranial work, It really feels like I have to be sitting in that same place that I sit when I get into a deep meditation where I'm just really quiet Mm -hmm. and just listening. So for the practitioner, the practitioner also has to be in a place where they are just quiet in their stillness within them in order to feel what's happening in the patient's body. Mm -hmm. It's really, I mean, what to me, it feels like very similar to like energy work and energy mm-hmm. healing and stuff like mm-hmm. that because my mother-in-law actually practices oh, that. Wow. And so, you know, she gives me like treatments and stuff like that when cool. I'm with her. It just feels very similar because it's really, mm-hmm. you know, you have to just connect with the other person on a mm. level that's not verbal at all. The one um, difference between the energy work and the visceral and cranial is that... Um, we are going for specific anatomical right like points and yeah, landmarks on the body sense. whereas the energy might be specific like energy fields and right. from what i know um reiki practitioners don't put their hands on the patients yeah for clients. They don't. Mm-hmm. right so and then for as a physical therapist or an osteopath you, you actually do. can touch the patient yeah totally yeah that makes sense and so i guess the next question i have for you is as i said to me it's so obvious the benefit that this mm-hmm. all of these types of therapies mm-hmm. have when you're treating people mm-hmm. but i'm also curious to hear you know i guess some examples or just some ways in which 
you've really seen the difference that these treatments make, you know, in addition to just typical pelvic floor PT or any, any form of physical therapy? Like, how have you seen these treatments really take your patients like to the next level and just like healing and obviously mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally and mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. and spiritually yeah um, there's so much that these types of modalities can do and so I'm just curious and I feel like everyone who uh, will listen to this will probably be curious to know like how have you seen this work yeah so I started my career in physical therapy you know working with pelvic floor PTs but as an orthopedic PT and when I started my pelvic training and the visceral training and the cranial um, sacral therapy training, I was at a point where I was treating patients and they just weren't getting better. Like there was a there was a point where they would plateau or the recurrent pain symptoms would come back. So I know for me that uh, in treatment, I have seen the craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation help patients get past a certain point of um, progress if they had a halt in their progress in rehab and and or many times patient will come to, patients will come to me and they haven't had success in traditional physical therapy and when we start first with craniosacral therapy or visceral manipulation or a combination of the two we see progress in the first few weeks So then we're able to move into more advanced orthopedic manual therapy or more specific movement re-education and just get them over that hump. So um, yeah, and then as I mentioned, beyond persistent pain, um, people who have experienced trauma, this has helped them tremendously. Mm -hmm. And just the manifestation of emotions in the body is a real thing right so we know that when someone has experienced trauma they may hold tension or unprocessed emotions in different parts of their body pelvic floor neck back or just widespread generalized pain so being able to address um, the individual from a holistic standpoint and get that sympathetic nervous system into more parasympathetic just helps them be able to participate and progress in their physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And another question that also came to mind is, so it's it can be so helpful to see a practitioner like yourself mm-hmm. and have these treatments and have someone really do this work to you. Uh-huh. But I also think it's really important to have things that you can do at home right. when you're not, you know, seeing a practitioner mm-hmm. or like paying for a service or mm-hmm. um but really like money aside um some people just like don't have access or right. can't you know like if it were up to me i would be getting like acupuncture and massages <laughs> and all of this stuff every day but that's not realistic so i want to know if you have any tools or suggestions Mm. or techniques that you give to the people you see that they can do at home and they can do when you know they're not with you because as we both know stress and anxiety comes up every single day um Uh so yeah i guess what what do you kind of tell your patients to do outside of your office 
Yes. So first, I do recommend meditation to most of my patients. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to meditation, I tell people to not get overwhelmed with the idea of needing to sit and not have any thoughts for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. The whole idea of sitting and not having any thoughts isn't uh, actually what happens when you get into that deep meditation practice. You just are able to sit and observe your thoughts and not get in involved in them. And that mm -hmm. takes time, that takes practice. But um, I tell my patients who say, you know, I tried meditating, but it's just not for me. My mind keeps wandering. Okay, well, let's start with one minute for one week every day. One minute, sit, count your breath. If an extraneous thought comes, just go back to the start of your counting. So if you're counting to 10, but one minute most people can do. And then once they feel comfortable with one minute, bump it up to two minutes. Once they're comfortable with two minutes, bump it up to four, bump it up to eight, et cetera, et cetera, until you're able to sit for like 10 to 20 minutes every day. Because we all need a moment to just sit in silence and really quiet our mind. Um, so that's one thing I always recommend meditation. And then for my patients who've seen me for a significant amount of time or long enough that they understand and have a general understanding at least of what I'm doing with my hands. Sometimes I will guide them through some general visceral manipulation um, that they can do at home. Um, but that's not for everyone. It depends on the patient case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does the mind-body connection um, like mean to you and your practice? Mm -hmm. And what role does it have you know, in your life and in your approach to this work. And mm -hmm. you definitely touched upon this a little because everything that you do is so mind-body. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But if sure. there's anything else that comes to mind, I just think it's um, an important question to ask now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I was a dancer. I don't practice as much anymore. So that's very much uh, mind-body movement. You have mm -hmm. to be really present in your body as a dancer um, when you're performing and when you're training but eventually I became a Pilates teacher and Pilates is a mind-body movement method created by Joseph Pilates. And anyone who has done Pilates knows that in order to practice Pilates or exercise using the Pilates method in a more classical or modern sense, um, not in the um, high intense uh, fitness version because there's many forms of Pilates nowadays, that you have to be very present in your movements and when you do that hour-long session and you come out of that you just feel like amazing you feel like your mood is lifted you feel more awake aware and more joyful right so when you are more present in your body and you're just you know living in the moment and moving in the moment um, there's so many benefits from that so that's why we use Pilates in our office um, we have the pilates equipment um, and mindful movement is so crucial for re-education from musculoskeletal injury for neurological conditions so and pilates is um, tremendous in helping and aiding in that so in the practice that's how we use the mind-body movement aspect but then in terms of uh, the craniosacrotherapy and visceral manipulation i already touched on that so from a manual therapy standpoint that's 
one of the facets in which we utilize the mind body aspect of care mm-hmm. and then for myself i i meditate every yeah. day um i've been practicing meditation for about nine years now and i meditate every day and i've had times where i go to retreats and they're like silent retreats sitting walking meditation and you know i know that's not for everyone and not everyone wants to dive deep into that but um yeah i mean just being able to take that time to really sit and observe what's going on in your mind and be able to let go right because in in zen meditation and in most buddhist meditation teachings they talk about that suffering or emotional suffering um, attachment is the root of that many times we attach to different experiences and emotions so um yeah i love hearing from about this from everyone that i just speak with because everyone Mm -hmm. has their own way it's a hundred percent real that if you have something that's causing you to feel an emotion it could cause a physical symptom as well absolutely Yeah. yeah so what you're touching on, you know, I educate my patients if they are persistent, a person who is experiencing persistent pain mm-hmm. about pain science. Right, yeah. Right, so we we all, um, in this area, I would mm-hmm. feel like in New York City, we're very fortunate because everyone's really informed and there's these amazing practitioners here. But in terms of pain science, it's the biopsychosocial model, right, mm-hmm. that we all reference, that it's a painful experience um, there's three contributing factors biological sociological psychological right which came first Uh, we won't know until we get into that specific patient case but we've all experienced it many people who have tmj dysfunction or have uh, teeth grinding Mm -hmm. it is directly correlated to stress anxiety or some kind of experience that that's just um that's difficult for the person to process. So um, another thing uh, from a gastrointestinal standpoint, people who experience IBS, right? If they're extremely stressed or they have to give a presentation or um, if they are in grad school and they have to take a final exam, having an IBS episode is is normal. So we know that the emotion came first and that triggered a physical response. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, not up for debate if there is that mind-body connection (laughs) we all know it but i think that many times we just forget about it right and many times we go into autopilot in our life i'm human it happens to me too and we you know neglect our mind or our body sometimes both um and these things can happen yeah yeah. no totally and um related to that is and also kind of similar to a previous question that I asked you, but since we live in um, this day and age where Mm -hmm. the world is a particularly chaotic and stressful place Mm -hmm. and it just feels like every day or week or month more terrible things happen and I feel like, I don't know, it just seems harder and harder to avoid stress and to avoid major Uh problems Uh and so i think it's really more important than ever to have tools and to have just like practices that people can do at home um Mm -hmm. to help with their stress Mm -hmm. because obviously we're all human and we can't 
avoid it Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be realistic Mm -hmm. so in what ways i guess do you do you help the people that you see to to deal with stress at home and outside of your practice are there like techniques that you have obviously you said meditation which is probably Mm -hmm. number one Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but are there any um other other things that you that you recommend or that you do or that you would suggest the people listening as to how we can just deal with the the stressful world that we currently live in yeah so one way that i sometimes modify or give a recommendation for modification for someone's meditation practice is to place a hand over their heart so trying different ways to modify their meditation practice because it's it's easy if you have been sitting and in a meditation practice for months years however long that you get kind of um comfortable Mm -hmm. and it's not really doing it for you anymore you're not really feeling the benefit that you used to feel to try to change it up another thing too is obviously to have um, some kind of exercise um, if it's walking you know we live in in brooklyn um, you live in new york city uh, you live in manhattan so being able to walk in the city is just a great thing to do staying active journaling um, seeing a therapist using these other holistic uh, treatment methods like acupuncture, massage. Um, I like to sing. I'm, I'm a singer um, now in these past recent years. So for me, singing is something that I do for stress relief and I recommend it to my patients too if they're open to it, depending on the kind of relationship we have. Um, so yeah, just having some kind of outlet for the stress and having a schedule and... Uh, being able to schedule each day for me I meditate every morning I exercise every morning so that's my thing during the week Um, so just having that same time in the day is really important too for managing stress Mm -hmm. I love that and I completely agree that any outlet that resonates with Mm -hmm. you is a good outlet Mm -hmm. I mean I wouldn't say I wouldn't maybe not say any outlet healthy outlet outlet. (laughs) yeah thank you yeah um yeah definitely not any outlet but any healthy outlet such as all of the ones that you mentioned yes are all healthy (laughs) really good outlets yes yes and I guess on that note is there any other advice that you have for people listening or anything that you just want them to know about anything we talked about today yeah so if if you are someone who hasn't had success with traditional physical therapy and or hasn't had success with traditional um, pelvic floor PT, um, it would be to your benefit to find a practitioner who does some of the osteopathic techniques um, because that will help you, may potentially help you move along in your, your rehab and get you over that hump. If you um, are looking for a practitioner, say you're not here in New York City and you can't come to see me or my team um, at Inspira in Park Slope, Brooklyn, there is a website, www.iahp.com. This is an international alliance of holistic practitioners where you can find um, in your area 
practitioners who practice craniosacral therapy, visceral manipulation, and there's even more techniques that we didn't get to mention, like neural manipulation, lymphatic drainage. There's many, many uh, osteopathic techniques. Awesome. Thank you. And mm-hmm. are there any other resources that you have to recommend if people want to learn more or um, just helpful resources that you think would be good to share? Yeah. So the website I mentioned, www.iahp.com, that's really helpful for finding a practitioner. But if you're curious about visceral and cranial work for visceral, if you go to the Baral Institute website for um craniosacral therapy, if you go to the Upledger Institute website, you'll be able to see the history of both of those techniques, the information about the founders, and just learn more. They have different videos as well. Um, So those are good resources. And if anyone wants to contact you or make an appointment with you, how can they do so? Follow you on Instagram. Yes, so you, exactly. (laughs) So you can follow us on Instagram at Inspira Physical Therapy. So the whole business name spelled out. Or you can call or text us at 929-295-6566. You can also send us an email at hello at inspirapt.com. Cool. And so again, I will link all of that as well so people can have easy access to you and to all of the resources and information that you shared. And thank you so much for being here, for taking the time to just share more about you and your practice Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. for giving me a treatment because (laughs) it was really relaxing. Um, So I really can't recommend it enough. And I honestly just find it so interesting. I have to say like how I've done craniosacral therapy before, as I mentioned um, just a few times and well, I didn't mention to everyone here, but I mentioned to you before we recorded and um, I've done osteopathic therapy a few times and it's every time it's so crazy to me how literally you the lightest I was gonna say not being touched at all which isn't true the lightest touch you feel mm-hmm. like you're not mm-hmm. hardly being touched mm-hmm. even when you were finished I was like are you finished or are you still touching me I can't tell the difference mm-hmm. but it's crazy how it really relaxes you like it it, it knocks you out for me mm-hmm. at least like every time I've had any of this type of work done I am so relaxed like I could go to sleep immediately after and usually I fall asleep during it it's crazy yeah each person's response is a little different right. so typically, maybe that's just mine well you yeah, know I think it's common oh right? super yeah. common super common so if that happens to someone it's typically a sign that they need a little bit more rest <laughs> yeah. they need a little bit more rest they right. have a lot going on um yeah yeah mm-hmm. awesome well thank you again I really really appreciate it of course thank you Hannah